morning. How are we doing, Crosswalk? You guys awake? It was just the, the, the music was really kind of, it was, it was just settled us into a nice place. We're ready for our morning nap already. Or as a college professor of mine would say, lay activities. Or he would say that, you know, I know all of you want to run off and go to the church of St. Mattress and listen to Pastor Pillow. Um, But we are excited to have you guys here. Welcome. Uh, Even in our uh, summer numbers and whatever that journey means for us, we've seen new faces every week. So if you're a new face this week, if you're joining us for the first time, we are really excited to have you here. And as Angela said, and and Josue even in in prayer, just this, we really hope this is a place that you can sense a, a, a sense of belonging, a sense of peace, a sense of love and grace in Jesus. And so uh, welcome, uh, if you're here for the first time. I, I've been, um, uh, it's always funny to me uh, when I get a comment afterwards, which I've gotten several in the 10 months, almost 10 months since we planted. Uh, October 2 is our one-year anniversary. Coming up on that, we're excited about it. Um, but uh, I, I get the comment every now and then about uh, the message and said, huh, that was, that was more biblical than I expected. Yeah, we use the Bible. So I hope that's cool with you. We're going to use the Bible for the next eight weeks, uh, especially as we dive into First and Second Timothy. Uh, today is a, a special day. It is the unofficial official start uh, for uh, one of our two pastors coming on board. So Pastor Uriel um, is here today and is uh, with our youth and young adults is going to be his main focus. We're excited to have him here. And then uh, Pastor Lydia Mitchell I might say Tupper a couple times because she just got married. Um, So she'll be joining us next week. She's going to be over outreach and some community building aspects of what we're doing. So we're excited that in our first year, we're going to add two full-time pastors to our team, uh, which is just going to grow what we can do. So we're so excited about what God is doing in and through this community of faith. And we look forward to seeing what he's going to continue to do with us. But we are talking about faith over the next eight weeks as we go through the books of First and Second Timothy. And one may ask why this is important to talk about. Well, because with deep faith comes deep responsibility. That's just a bad Spider-Man reference. It means nothing. Uh, no, with, with deep faith uh, comes a chance to be so grounded in who you are and in whose you are that no matter what your circumstances are around you, you can be grounded. You cannot waver. You can have firm faith in who God is and who God has called you to be, which produces fruit in your life and in the lives of those around you. Um, And so that's why we're talking about it. So the first thing we have to do on our journey about deep faith is try to define what faith actually is, if we're going to be talking about it so much. And I think the best definition actually comes from the word used in the New Testament for faith. It is the word pistis, pistis in the, in the Greek, which is actually used 27 times in First and Second Timothy. So for whatever you think First and Second Timothy is about, which it, it'll talk about things as we go through about managing church, about elders and deacons, and what women should or shouldn't do in church. We're going to unpack that next week, so hold on. Um, but what, whatever you think First and Second Timothy has been about, it's really about faith. It's about growing a deep faith that impacts your whole life. And it is a, uh, a leader speaking to a mentor. And so he's not just helping Timothy think about how to run a church. He's helping Timothy 
grow his faith deep so that he can not only weather the storms that inevitably come in life, but so that he can also take over for Paul, who is approaching the end of his life. So the word pistis that we translate for faith, it can mean belief, confidence, but most assuredly it comes to mean trusting in something. So pistis is about trust, a foundational element in all relationships. And it makes sense, right? Because the book of the Bible started with a break in trust. The devil came to Adam and Eve and started to get them to doubt that God was good, that God could be trusted. He, quest- he caused the Adam and Eve to question God. And when they broke that trust with God, God has spent the rest of our existence trying to get us to trust in him again, to deepen our faith and our trust in God. So we begin our journey and we meet the main characters of our study. First Timothy begins with these words. This letter is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of God, our Savior, and Christ Jesus, who gives us hope. I am writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. So here we see Paul is the author. He is an apostle, meaning one sent by God. And Timothy is Paul's mentee, his disciple, his true son in the faith. And throughout all of Paul's writings, it's clear that Timothy is very dear to Paul. He refers to him throughout his writings. He says that uh, Timothy is a fellow worker, his beloved and faithful child in the Lord, a slave of Christ along with Paul. And he even goes so far as to say that he has no one else like Timothy. But his most common title for Timothy is son, which he uses over five times. So how did Paul come across Timothy? Well, we first meet Timothy in Acts chapter 16, and we learn in that that his mother was Jewish and his father was Greek. Um, So what this meant is he grew up in a religiously split home. Um, And we learn in 16 verse 2 that Timothy was well-liked by others, so he was a good man. Scholars think that when Paul and Timothy first meet, that Paul is in his late 30s or early 40s, and Timothy is in his late uh, late teens, early 20s. By the time he writes First and Second Timothy, they've been together for 18 years doing ministry and doing life together. And that's probably why Paul's using familial language to describe their relationship. And I remember the first time that this happened to me when one of my parishioners referred to me as, um, well, a father figure. Uh, and, and you have to realize that most of my career up until this point has been as a chaplain in a university campus. Um, I started it in my mid-20s, and so I was a young adult at the time. I, I know I called my students my kids, but I preferred that they referred to me as a mentor, friend, or, or pastor. That's fine. But I remember when I crossed the threshold, and a girl that I'd been doing studies with came up to me after a worship service and said, hey, can I talk to you? I said, yeah. So we sat down, we talked, and she said, I just need some fatherly advice. And I said, whoa, whoa, wait a second. I am not old enough to be, carry the one, she's 19, I'm 38, it could have, it could have, it could have happened, it could have happened and it wouldn't have been weird, and that hurt, um, to, to, to realize that I was at that age in, in my life. I convinced her that I was more like a cool uncle um, in, in that moment, but meaningful relationships can have those familiar connections, and I think that happens a lot in the spiritual life. So. In First and Second Timothy, we learn two critical things about faith 
its origin and its growth. One, we learn that faith is something that comes from God. And two, in this passage, we learn that faith is nurtured in part through meaningful relationships. So let's unpack this a little bit. Faith, first faith comes from God. When Jesus told his disciples that he was going to prepare a place for them, he, um, uh, the disciples, of course, want to follow him. And they say they don't know the way. So Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And then, like a mob boss does, he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. I don't know why I always think about a mob boss thing in that line, but I feel like that's what Jesus is saying. Like, you want to get to the Father? You got to go through me. Um, and you have to sound Italian when you're a mob boss, so that just comes out. Anyway, um, so Jesus says he is the way. So with, when we have faith, when we come to learn more about faith, when we want to deepen our faith, it's because God is already at work in our lives. Somebody comes into me and talk about baptism, it's because God's already at work and doing something in their lives. So faith, Paul says it in other places, like Ephesians, he says faith is a gift from God. It starts from God. It comes from him. And God helps us nurture that faith through a variety of means, including, but not limited to, the relationships we have with those around us. By the time Paul writes this letter to Timothy, they've been together for almost two decades that is a long time. They know each other well. They know each other's strengths and each other's weaknesses. Um, and in Paul's instructions, it's clear that Timothy has some struggles like the rest of us. It's clear that Timothy was timid. He was scared. He often felt overwhelmed and in over his head. Paul continues to reassure him to not give up, to be strong, and to recognize his most important gift, which was Christ in him, the hope of glory. So Paul was more than a teacher to Timothy. He was more than someone Timothy looked up to. If Paul saw Timothy as a son, most assuredly, Timothy saw Paul as a father figure. Remember that his own father was Greek, and so different religiously speaking. So they probably couldn't connect on all the same things that Timothy could connect with Paul on. And, and I get this, personally. Without going into crazy details, my dad and I had a different understanding of faith and how we lived out our faith. When I was 32 and feeling like I was in over my head uh, with my calling, I, I looked for someone who could speak truth and wisdom into my life, a mentor. And I found a great one in Dr. John Dibdahl. And over the years, we have connected about faith and life in ways that my dad and I struggled to. John became so much more than a teacher and mentor and friend. He became a father figure to me. So the people we have to journey with in faith are critical. Our community, sometimes we refer to as church, is critical. And God will use these relationships to help us deepen our faith. And he'll use the scriptures and worship and prayer and service to others, all to help us build our trust in him in ways that we can never do on our own. When people say that they are spiritual but not religious, they often mean that they don't need church. They don't need religion. They don't need community in that sense. But you and I weren't created to be in relationship with God without others. We were created by a trinity, a community of three, and we were meant for community. So church isn't a salvation issue. It's, it's a faith issue. It's growing our journey. It's helping us in our understanding of who God is. And that's why it's important to pick the right community to be a part of, because these are the people that are going to help you deepen your faith. So then, in the next verses, we learn another element in how we deepen our faith. 
Paul continues and says, When I left for Macedonia, I urged you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help people live a life of faith in God. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love, love well, that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. But some people have missed this whole point. They have turned away from the things, uh, these things and spend their time in meaningless discussions. They want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses, but they don't know what they are talking about, even though they speak so confidently. We learn here that Paul is in Macedonia, Timothy is in Ephesus at a church that they have planted that already as a young church was facing challenges from people that were distracting them from what matters most about the gospel story. So in these verses, we learn that to deepen our faith, our faith must stay focused on the source of our faith. Seems obvious, but it's so easy to be distracted. Too many leaders in Paul's time wanted to be seen as smart and wise and knowledgeable in all the scriptures. They wanted the praise of others. The Greek word for teaching contrary to the truth is the word eterodidaskaleo, which I just wanted to say. Eterodidaskaleo. Uh, it means teaching beyond what is necessary. So people were teaching beyond what was necessary. There were leaders who spent a whole lot of time talking about things that just didn't matter. And I'm so thankful that that no longer happens today. So thankful that people only talk about the things that are essential. Um, so what is essential to this gospel story? What matters most? It seems like a no-brainer, right? In his letter to Corinthians, Paul said it well, For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. In, in uh, Philippians, he actually says that he considers everything else as rubbish compared to knowing Jesus Christ. In fact, the word for rubbish is, rubbish is not translated correctly. It actually would be better to translate that uh, phrase as, he considers everything else dog dung. There's a Greek word you need to know. A dog, 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 compared to knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. So Paul says that our conversations, our teachings, our focus for our faith needs to be on Jesus Christ and him alone. His life, his death, his resurrection, his teachings. And when he is our center, when all we can speak about is Jesus, then it builds us up, it builds others up, it builds up his church, and it grows our faith. It's like a, a sunflower. You know why sunflowers are called sunflowers, right? Because they look like the sun. It's not rocket science. It's, it, it, and, and most sunflowers, not all, there's some different breeds, but most sunflowers are heliotropic, that's what they call it. And what that means is they kind of track with the sun throughout the day. So in the morning when the sun rises, the sunflower is facing the east. Actually, it's this way facing the east, and then as the sun goes throughout the day, the sunflower actually follows until it sets in the west, and then slowly overnight makes its way back to the east so it can spot that sun coming up again. So it reflects that which it is focused on. Come on, somebody, that'll preach. Um, <laughs> so the same is said for our journey of faith. When Christ is our focus, when he is what we are obsessed with, then over time we begin to think and act and live our lives like Jesus. 
we reflect the one that we are focused on. Our love grows, our faith deepens, and the fruit of God's spirit is produced in our lives. But we must keep Jesus the focus. We can't let ourselves get distracted by majoring in things that don't matter in the end. I don't care how many amazing facts you have. If you don't have Jesus, you got nothing. Going to hear about that later. Anything devoid of Jesus is missing the point, and it can be good things. It can be talking about, oh, like how we dress or the way we live our life, the choices we make, studying prophecy and scripture. But if those things are devoid of Jesus, then we are off the mark. We're missing the point. We've lost the plot. And there are far too many Christians out there who profess to follow Jesus, but the way they act tells me that they don't know him at all. Maybe never met him. So the focus of our faith is critical. And when Jesus is the center, then we come to our next lesson, and that is this. Deep faith is a faith that impacts the whole life. The next set of verses has to do with what it looks like when, faith, uh, when Jesus isn't central. Paul goes on and says, We know that the law is good when used correctly. For the law was not intended for people who do what is right. It is for people who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy, who kill their father or mother or commit other murders. The law is for people who are sexually immoral or who practice homosexuality or slave driver, driver, traders, liars, promise breakers, or who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. Now, in Paul's list of sins here, he is actually just putting the Ten Commandments into his own kind of language. And some of you may have grown up seeing the Ten Commandments as the list of do's and don'ts, right? Um, but I had this great uh, uh, lunch once with a friend of mine, uh, Jose Rojas. I don't know if any of you know him. Uh, he's big in the Adventist world, in the Hispanic Adventist world especially. Um, he's got a ginormous mustache. That's my ginormous mustache. He says that uh, one day uh, when, when the end of times comes and he needs to hide away, he'll just shave his mustache and no one will know who he is. Um, but we were having lunch once and he said, Patty, you know the, the, the uh, most amazing passage in scripture about love outside of 1 Corinthians 13? He says it's the Ten Commandments. And I, I said, what you talking about? Because I hadn't heard it that way before. He said, yeah, the Ten Commandments are just a, what it looks like to be in a loving relationship. When you're in a loving relationship, you honor that person. You put them first. You spend time with them. Their parents, like, go through the list. It's all the things you do when you're in a loving relationship. And so Paul's talking about what it looks like when we're not in that loving relationship. And then we've got to deal with the trigger word. Because I know some of us only saw one word in this whole passage. Uh-oh. Here we go. The trigger word of homosexuality. Now, we're not going to get into the important conversation that we could and should have on this word. And we're not going to get into it now because that's not the point of the passage. Okay? Um, I, all I'll do is say this. This is a conversation starter for your uh, uh, lunch conversations. Okay? It's important to note that uh, the six times that the word in the English language is homosexual in Scripture, four out of the six times, uh, we've translated it poorly. Um, the word actually in the Greek and even back in the Hebrew meant those who molested young boys, which was a huge problem in the Greco-Roman world. So we have often translated that word poorly. There's a whole history to that, and there's a whole list of things that we could talk about. Um, but that is not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is, well, let's, let's just say this. Don't let our trigger words 
keep you from hearing what God is trying to speak to you in this passage. That's my advice. So what Paul is getting at is that the, the life of faith, of deep faith, is a life that isn't compartmentalized. It is something that affects everything we do and everything that we are. It's not just something we do for an hour on Saturday or Sunday, nor is it the opposite. Nor do we have to hide away in a monastery and, and not be infected by the world, right? A life committed to Jesus, a life of deep faith and abiding trust in God means that wherever we go and whatever we do, we are dedicated to God, trusting in his love, believing in his version of our story. If we are watching a movie or at a concert or surfing the internet or buying groceries or slaving away at work, we do best when we put Jesus at the center of all of it. Now, I'll admit that I'm, I'm kind of weird when it comes to movies. I, I've said before, I didn't grow up with the stigma that I couldn't go to a movie. Um, I remember in seventh grade taking my two uh, best friends who were both pastor kids to a movie and sitting there and being like, like they were asking questions. And I'm like, you guys have been to a movie before. They're like, no, this is our first one. And then I had to pray to Jesus for, for taking them to a movie. I, they didn't make me. I just, you know, it's my own thing. Um, but... Uh, I, when I watch movies or, or TV, like, I'm always looking for the thread of the gospel story because I feel like all good, this is just me personally, I feel like all good stories, especially the ones we're drawn to, have a thread of the gospel in it, whether they know it or not. Because I think that that story is so powerful and so beautiful and so true that we just can't get away from it. Whether we believe it or not, it's there. And so I remember one time with my wife, sometimes with Trisha, she gets, you know, like, annoyed at my, you know, searching for the gospel and everything. Not in a bad way, but, you know. But we were watching a movie that just, I just didn't like it. It was a little on the dark side and, and that. But then at the end of the movie, the moment came. And I sat on the edge of my seat and I said, oh, there it is. There it is. And she's like, you saw it, didn't you? You know, the gospel. Yeah, yeah. I, I did. Anyway, so there's a way to just live your life, consecrate your life so that you're living it for God. You even think about the word taking the Lord's name in vain, right? We always think that just means saying God or Jesus out of context, right? But I think taking the Lord's name in vain is much deeper than using a, a word. I think it's how we live our lives. What are we doing with God? What are we doing with the breath that God has given us that honors him? And we can do that in anything that we're doing. So how do we devote ourselves to God? How do we dedicate our lives to him before we take that first step out of bed? How do we ask him to bless and guide us throughout our day or simply find ways to include Jesus throughout our day so that we can remember that our every breath is on loan from him. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says that Paul is anxious that everyone who professes Christian faith should allow the gospel to transform the whole of their lives so that the outward signs of the faith express a living reality that comes from the deepest parts of the personality. Jesus said it like this, anyone who believes in me may come and drink for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. We know these people, these people that just bleed the gospel, that bleed who Jesus is. But we know this isn't easy. We know there is an adversary whose every effort is to divert our attention away from Christ and onto anything else, right? Onto life's cares and perplexities, onto ourselves, our faults and imperfections, or the faults of imperfections of others. Author Ellen White had the best response to the devil's constant attack. She said, talk and think of Jesus. Let self be lost in him. It's one of my favorite quotes. Simple, pure. We will stumble along the way. There will be days, weeks, seasons where we struggle to make Christ central. 
but we must remember our last lesson for the day and for this eight-week journey, which is this. Faith is an ongoing and often messy journey of growth. Paul continues by sharing his own journey of faith and says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that comes from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Paul shares part of his story, a part of his story that Timothy would have heard a thousand times before. But it is always on Paul's mind because it is his reason for gratitude. It is his reason for his devotion to God. He saw God's power at work in his own life and knew that though he was a wretched sinner, Jesus still loved him, saved him, uses him. Too often, you and I think that if we have a deep faith, if we are fully committed to Jesus, if we do it all right, then we're just going to go on this linear journey of growth. It'll just start here and get better and better and better. But sadly, that's not how it works on this side of heaven. Too often, the journey of faith feels like we take two steps forward and ten steps back, and we're all over the place, and some days we get it right, some days we don't. We go through seasons of life. But we keep thinking that if we could just figure out the right formula of this much Bible study and that much prayer and a little bit of worship and some service on the side, then we could finally get this spiritual growth thing right. But that's not how it works. God is working with broken vessels, treasures in jars of clay, and our growth at times feels like two steps forward and ten steps back, as I said. But spiritual growth isn't linear. I love how Mike Iaconelli describes it in his book, Messy Spirituality. He says, spiritual growth is more than a procedure. It's a wild search for God in the tangled jungle of our souls. A search which involves a volatile mix of messy reality, wild freedom, frustrating stickiness, increasing slowness, and a healthy dose of gratitude. Even towards the end of his life, the great apostle Paul hadn't figured things out yet. It's one thing to write about it. It's another thing to live it, right? In Philippians, he wrote this about his life of faith. He says, I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I have made it, but I am well on my way, reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. So don't let the struggle cause you to give up and walk away. Keep going. Keep reaching. When you do, you'll find that he's been reaching out for you the whole time. Paul wasn't perfect, but he kept reaching. So what can we do on this journey of erratic growth? Author Jim Belcher says it well. Faith means clinging to the person, the God-man of Jesus Christ, joining a pilgrim journey with others, loving and following him into So we cling to Jesus, 
We journey with others and we accept that we'll never stop growing in our faith, never stop reaching out for him. In fact, when we think we've got it all figured out, man, we're in trouble. Author Rob Bell once said that in our faith journey, you're never done learning and growing and evolving. The journey of faith isn't about a destination. It's about a person. So to summarize our search for deep faith, we recognize that faith comes from God through Jesus Christ. And faith is nurtured in part through meaningful relationships, relationships with others, with his word, with his church, and through his creation. In a world of constant distractions, our faith must stay focused on Jesus, the author and perfecter of it. And this faith impacts our whole life. It informs our choices. It produces good fruit in us that exists to lift up each other and his church. But as hard as we try, as much as we seek him, we must always remember that faith is an ongoing and often messy journey of growth. We will never stop reaching. We will never get it all right. But we have God's grace to guide us through the toughest of times so that together we may learn to trust him So my hope and prayer over the next eight weeks in this series is that we will dive deep into this journey in the book of Timothy, that we will sometimes look past the surface to see what he's really getting at, what Paul is really teaching us about how to have a faith that is deep and wide, a faith that impacts our whole life, that can not only change those of us here in this room, but can change our neighbors, can change our city, can change our country for Christ. That is our call, that is our goal. So let us grow deep together in the faith, encouraging one another and always helping us reset our vision on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, I thank you so much for all of the instruction you've given us in your word. And I pray that as we continue the journey, um, as we wrestle with the teaching from today, as we journey over the next several weeks, that you would give us a special spirit of wisdom and insight that we may know you better and that our faith may grow and deepen to be strong and to produce fruit that will last a lifetime. Father, I pray for our community as we continue to grow and experience your call in our lives, that we would be a place of love and belonging and a place that makes a difference in the lives of those that attend as well as those that are in this city and live around us, the people you've called us to care for and to love called us to be your presence in this world and so I pray that you would help us keep our eyes on you so that we can be that presence and bring hope and healing and light into a world in desperate need of all the above. We love you so much Jesus. Help us continue to go throughout this day catching glimpses of you that inspire us to live deep faith in the precious and holy name